You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What is going on, everybody? John and Pemba here with Andrew Cooper bringing you episode two of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast. Here with Coop, we're going to discuss some more best ball, some deep dynasty targets, and even answer some of your mailbag questions that you have for us this week. Coop, how are things going with you? It's going great, man. You know, uh, you might be surprised to hear that this is actually my very favorite part of the fantasy football season right now. You know why that is? Why is that, Coop? Because right now, we all have these takes, we all have these theories, OTAs, there's no, you know, there's no pads, there's no hitting. Everything that we say right now could be right. And then football comes along and just ruins it all. So, you know, right now is kind of a beautiful, beautiful time for an analyst because you can kind of get your takes out there. And uh, and soon enough, the randomness of football will kind of erase most of them. So. Yeah, we're slowly starting to see uh, players go to, you know, the offseason programs that are showing up or not showing up. You know, Aaron Rodgers having a great time out in Hawaii. Uh, you know, Devontae Adams, I don't think was that was that mini camp either. So, like... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll getting more of the stories that are breaking across the league. Obviously, we know Julio Jones, uh, you know, publicly, maybe uh, unintentionally announcing that he is out uh, of Atlanta on uh, Undisputed there with uh, Shannon Sharp giving him the phone call. So that obviously turned, uh, you know, the fantasy world and the NFL world maybe upside down a bit. Where is he going to go? You see guys like DeAndre Hopkins saying he would restructure his contract to get him in Arizona. Uh, AJ Brown put out a video today, basically explaining why it'd be great for him to go, uh, you know, go to Tennessee. We obviously see the Vegas favorites are our New England Patriots to potentially land uh, Julio. So, I mean, that changes uh, the whole landscape of a lot of things that we're going to be looking at in terms of offense targets. You know, think about it. If you were doing these best draft ball drafts already. And you invested early round draft capital on like an AJ Brown or a DeAndre Hopkins or even a Julio Jones, and all of a sudden he leaves one of the most prolific passing attacks with Matt Ryan throwing a thousand times a season to New England, where they're a one of the more run dominant teams with a quarterback who can't throw more than ten yards down the field. You're just you just lost, right? Or you just put yourself in a big risk there. Right, yeah, I mean, like, I actually did move Julio down just a couple notches in my rankings. I think I might have moved Godwin ahead. You know, now Thielen's kind of in that conversation where the thing about this situation with uncertainty, sometimes in best ball we talk about uncertainty being your friend, but like you said, you know, uh, just two years ago, Matt Ryan would have had the third all-time most pass attempts had he not gotten hurt. So it's And he's comfortable with Julio, they know each other. Like, there's almost no situations where you go that would be better than where he is now. So it's almost like the uncertainty in this case actually creates the negative. The uncertain positive is that he stays because that's probably one of the best spots for him to be. So it is crazy. And like you said, like the whole situation with Shannon Sharp kind of putting him on blast on live air. I mean, like, I don't even know if that's legal. Like, <laughs> I, I, can... I don't I don't know. <laughs> uh, reports came out that obviously the Atlanta Falcons were upset with the incident uh because you know well it, it feels like an uh you know an open secret that julio was on the block like it was reported you know the whole reason he called him was the fact that it was being widely reported that you know he was seeking a trade looking to get out there um you know but now they lose any edge really in the in sort of trade negotiations right it's like well julio knows he's gone so why am i going to give you that first you're asking for you know now i'm you know reportedly the patriots offered a second and they declined it you know, now if you're in New England, you're like, well, he says he's not coming back, so take my fourth rounder instead, and maybe we'll kick into Keel Harry, you know, or something like that. You know, like the, oh, yeah. the the negotiation just flipped if you're Atlanta, and uh, for good reason, you're you're not happy with that. Right, exactly, and you you can't help but feel like uh, the Patriots overpaying a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu has to have the Falcons thinking right now oh well we can't take a second for julio jones you know what i mean it's they kind of they're it's kind of no man's land now but uh, inevitably i think it will be a second and then a bunch of picks in the following year or later um you know just because that seems to be the uh the compromise when you don't offer a first so we'll see yeah for sure now now you know we we ended last uh, week's podcast talking about best ball obviously best ball is the hot topic going on right now and a lot of leagues are seeing uh, everybody basically tweeted out, and we, we alluded to, you know, last week, again, one of the issues of potentially drafting early was something like this popping up. 
Um, but we want to talk a little bit more about basketball. Most importantly, you know, strategies for basketball uh, that we sort of try to employ here. Um, things that we like to look for. Again, we touched a little bit on it last week, you know, looking for those home run hitters, uh, like you talked about, those boomer bust plays, looking at those guys in maybe some uncertain situations. If you have hunters on players that maybe you can get some steals, uh, you know, guys with different ADPs. Um, but I want to talk about another strategy to kick off uh, this week's podcast that I love to employ. Uh, and it comes from a little bit of the DFS player in me, and that is stacking. Um, and, and it goes to, again, the format that tends to be with best ball, and that is trying to get the most points possible every week, uh, like you do every, you know, in every any format. But, you know, the fact that you don't need to set your lineup allows you to take a little bit more risk. And when one player tends to go off, you can kind of, you know, multiply the, those production by getting, you know, the, the, the stacking points uh, as well. So for me, you know, I love to go and stack high-powered offenses. No secret, everybody does. But that's something that I, I tend to look for uh, when I'm doing basketball. As you know, last year, I can't tell you how many times that I was happy to sort of get the end of the draft, um, you know, and get a Tyree Kill and a Travis Kelsey or, and pair them up with a Patrick Mahomes, right? Because you, I, I was expecting a big bounce back here for Mahomes. You know a lot of touchdown passes are going to be thrown. You know who he's throwing those touchdown passes to because it's a very concentrated offense. So, you know, a strategy that I tend to employ is stacking and stacking those high-powered offenses, going with the quarterbacks, with their top wide receivers. And, and there's a lot of, um, you know, there it's very able to be done if we're looking at even just some of the ADPs uh, that are that are we're looking at right now. You know, if you're looking at quarterbacks, you know, someone like a DeAndre Hopkins, for instance, going at the end of second rounds while Kyler Murray is going in the fourth, like you can plan your draft out to go ahead and, and get that connection. Cause you know, when Kyler's throwing touchdowns, Hopkins is more than likely the one on the receiving end there. Uh, and you can double up on those points. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that you didn't bring this one up uh, last episode. I know we had kind of a limited amount of time, but you are the stack master and uh, anyone that doesn't follow John and Pemba on, on Twitter, you got to get in there. Because, I mean, he's making money every week on, on DraftKings. And one of your big things is stacking. And in best ball, the beautiful thing compared to a normal redraft league is a lot of these best ball leagues end up being uh, roto. And by that, I mean you're not playing head-to-head matchups. You're just accumulating the most points. So in head-to-head where, you know, depending on what your format is, you can't really be throwing weeks away by having multiple guys having the same bye weeks in best ball you're just trying to accumulate the most points on the year so you know it doesn't matter if one week you score you know all your guys are on bye weeks and you score 10 points if for the season long you're already 300 points ahead of the rest of the field so i have no problem at all taking guys on the same team especially like you said you look at the offenses that are that we almost know are going to throw a ton i mean year to year it changes but i mean you look at the cowboys good offense bad defense you look at the bengals you know, same thing, good offense, bad defense, the Falcons, like these teams are in a perfect situation to throw uh, where they're going to maximize points. What you probably don't want to do is go the opposite route and stack guys on these def- the teams that use a ton of substitution. They have good defense, good special teams. They're going to run less plays than everybody else. They're going to slow things down. You know, our Patriots, uh, the Ravens, obviously, right. use a ton of substitution. You just want to, you know, you don't want to go into that realm. I mean, so what, Pemba, what are some teams that you would just, you're not stacking guys on at this point? Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, especially since I'm looking for quarterback and wide receiver combinations, you know, it's difficult to, you know, again, look at the Patriots, think Cam Newton, and think, like, who would I be stacking him with? Sure, the tight ends come to mind a little bit here, but, like, you know, am I expecting high output out of that offense in terms of their passing attack? Not really, you know. Cam could surprise me this year and, and bounce back, but I mean, this is this is a guy who had what like seven passing touchdowns last year. Was it even was it even that many? Right. So like, if I'm trying to you know capitalize on the quarterback to receiver touchdown combo here, um, you know that's going to be one that's going to be difficult for me. Um, I think another one, at least on the outset, you know, the Chicago Bears, right? Like, if, if Andy Dalton is going to be the quarterback there to start the year like am i gonna want andy dalton and alan robinson like probably not you know like you know i don't know what dalton's gonna be able to do back there i like robinson but you know i guess i would have to hope 
that um, help me with the quarterback here. I'm, I'm blanking on the on the rookie they just. Oh, uh, Justin Fields. Yeah, Justin, Justin Fields. Yeah, I can't. I don't know why he was escaping my brain for for whatever reason. But like, I, I'm hopeful that maybe Fields would be the quarterback, right? Because if at least if it's in best ball, you know, later in the year if he starts, maybe you get some boom production uh, out of him there. But you know, offenses like you said with poor quarterback play, with questionable offensive game plan, uh, are the ones that we're, we're going to tend to stay away from the Lions. Probably, you know, like don't really trust Goff, even though, you know, we're not expecting them to win many games. So they may just be throwing out of the fact that they have to come back. Like, you know, who do you trust there at the, at, at their wide receiver position? Is it going to be Brashard Perriman, Tyrell Williams, you know, your, your favorite yeah. Armand St. Brown, right? Like, you know, what, what receiver would you want to confidently draft and then stack uh, with the Goff? So like, you know, obviously those, those are the, the re- offenses you're looking to stay away from, but you know, the Cowboys are an offense that you want to stack. The Chiefs are an offense that you're going to stack. Arizona is going to be an offense that you're going to want parts of. If Deshaun Watson was at quarterback, like I would be okay with Houston, with, you know, a Cooks and, and a Watson, but there's questions obviously, um, you know, going on there. So, I mean, you know, the Saints, even if Winston's at quarterback, like I still think that offense is going to put up a lot of points. You know, I have no problem going you know, with Winston and, and, you know, Michael Thomas are just falling down draft boards, you know, this season. So, like, you know, those are the offenses that I would take a look at and obviously some of the ones that I wouldn't be too keen on there. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so, but with some of those offenses, uh, and this kind of gets into the next strategy that I like, uh, it's a kind of a different kind of stack and a different thing to take advantage of is in best ball, uncertainty at the end of drafts becomes your friend. So at the beginning, everyone, you know, you take the guys that are locks, you know what I mean? The McCaffrey's all, you know, Michael Thomas, but towards the end of drafts, what you want to do is look at the situations that are uncertain and try and take a stab at somebody who can find their way into a high end role. And we actually, a good example of that would be last year with the Panthers. You know, it's a brand new coach, brand new quarterback. Everybody thinks that it's going to be DJ Moore as the top guy, he's the most talented guy. But what happens is they bring in Robbie Anderson, who knows um, Matt Rule back from his days at Temple. They bring in Curtis Samuel. And when everything shakes out, DJ Moore ends up running the deep routes, which Teddy Bridgewater clearly had an aversion to based on the statistics, right? Um, And Robbie Anderson was underneath. Curtis Samuel was running underneath, even getting some plays at the backfield once CMC went down. So you look at the ADPs last year, uh, DJ Moore's going in, pick a you know wide receiver eleven. Anderson and Moore were going wide receiver sixty four and sixty five. So that uncertainty of a brand new coach, brand new offensive coordinator, uh, you know, uh, brand new quarterback creates a value opportunity for the cheapest guys from that offense because we don't know what's going to happen. So you look at this year, right? You have the Jaguars, uh, brand new coach uh, from college, so not even a guy that you know we've seen in the league. Uh, and a brand-new quarterback from college. We have the Jets. Uh, coach comes out. It's a defensive coach coming over from the 49ers. So, you know, we don't really know who's going to do an offense. He brings in a rookie QB. Uh, the Texans, we don't even know who's going to play quarterback there, but they have a new coach. Uh, the Lions, another one. The Lions, you know, we know Jared Goff, but, it's again, it's a brand-new coach. So in those situations, I'm actually, if the ADPs are deep enough, you don't want to stack the quarterback with the player like we just talked about because we don't think the quarterback's going to be great. But what I do like to do is with the very deep picks, and some of these drafts go to like, you know, 20, 30 rounds, I'll take both of the two cheapest wide receivers, knowing that one of them has to be at least the second wide receiver on the team or possibly even the first. So, like, you look at some of the ADPs for, uh, you know, for the Jaguars wide receivers, DJ Chark's going early. Uh, Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chanel are actually pretty cheap. And we don't know that DJ Chark's going to be the best guy because he could be this year's DJ Moore, right? Um, I wrote I wrote about a number of them in the, the article that you can find on Fantasy Alarm right now. Uh, but, again, same thing with the uh, the Lions. Tyrell Williams, Prashad Perriman. Um, you know, with the, uh, with the Texans, you have Brandon Cooks. And then you have basically, you know, Nico Collins as a rookie to play split end. And then Randall Cobb versus Kiki Kuti in the slot. I mean, if you stack a couple of those guys, it at those draft picks that deep in the draft, most of these guys aren't going to do anything anyway. So you might as well take two really deep picks and know that one of them is going to do something. It's kind of a, a nice little hedge move. So I do like that deep 
wide receiver stack in uncertain situations like that. Yeah, and that helps too with sort of the next strategy that I like to talk about. And you know, it's it's a best ball draft, so it's obviously preach, but like making sure you have enough depth, right? Oh like God, you know, there there's nothing worse than than you know getting in the middle to later rounds of a best ball and look down, and you're like, oh man, I only have you know two running backs, and you're looking at the board. And there's no real running backs that are very fantasy relevant where now you're looking for, you know, hoping for an injury to happen somewhere or like any sort of miracle that they find their way onto the field. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about it kind of going into these drafts with a plan. You know, you talk about, you know, mock drafting a little bit as well to get an idea of where guys are going, um, you know, in terms of ADP. But like making sure that you have enough depth at a position to overcome injuries for sure, since there are no, um, you know, since there are no moves that are made, no trades that are made in season, uh, it's obviously, you know, almost like rule number one uh, for me when it comes to uh, doing best ball drafts. I was I was burned a few years back uh, with the Andrew Luck retirement. I only had one other quarterback to back him up. And therefore, I was stuck with one quarterback and hoping that guy didn't get hurt or benched or whatever, <laughs> you know, because then I'd be no quarterback. So, um, making sure that you have a plan that you don't lose your draft board um, and getting that depth is just ever so important. If you listen to one, if you're getting into best ball for the very first time and you take one thing away from this podcast, it should be what John and Pemba just said, because so many times, and you'll think that you're okay too. The first few times you do one, like I did one uh, called draft with giants two years ago. Uh, you know, I was fairly new to it. I had done a few, but this was kind of a, a bigger one. And I thought I took, uh, it was a one quarterback. I took Cam Newton and Matt Stafford and my team was cruising, um, you know, was in second place going into the playoffs with, you know, uh, it's a big tournament. So I got up to the next round and then Cam Newton and Matt Stafford both got hurt. I had no quarterback at all. So if you're in a 12 team league, you kind of got to start doing the math, even if just one quarterback. Uh, I mean, if it's two quarterbacks, you've got to be really aggressive in getting them. But even with just one quarterback in a 12-team league, you know, uh, three quarterbacks, that's 36 quarterbacks. You know what I mean? There's only 32 starters. So if you really want to make sure that you get that position covered and, you know, you really need to start looking at who is going to be the starter all season long, and there's probably only about, what, 26, 25 guys, we'd say that. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some fluid quarterback situations, probably more so ever this year as well with the rookies that all came in. You know, if you think about it, if we go into this year with just the starters, you know, the incumbent starters, right, with, you know, if Dalton, Garoppolo, and Newton all start the year, there's a good chance they don't finish the year as a starter, right? So, like, exactly. you know, like there's, you know, and if you miss out, like you're saying, you know, you draft two quarterbacks, you know, maybe you're taking one of those rookies and hoping later in the year you hit on them because they're starting. But, I mean, yeah, locking up the quarterback position um, is certainly an important task because there's just more depth at the other positions, right? There's definitely more wide receiver depth because teams carry three, four receivers that get involved a lot of the times in their offense. And now we're not saying they're featured, but there's just more bodies there to potentially give you that one week that you're looking for, but running back, it feels like, and quarterback of the two shallower positions. I mean, tight end, obviously, but I mean, you can almost get away uh, with the tight end, you know, not having top end production because there's only few that give you that anyhow. Um, but running back for me and quarterback, you know, making sure that I have the players there um, for, is important in best ball. Right, exactly. Because in your mind, like, you think that, okay, I'll just, you know, from redraft, if your quarterback gets hurt, you think you can just add one, but you really can't. If your quarterback gets benched, he's done. You know what I mean? So that's why when you get in these deep guys, like you don't really think about the differences between Ben Roethlisberger and the next best guy at that level. But when the next best guy is somebody who has a very real chance of losing his job, Ben Roethlisberger is exponentially more valuable. Yeah, so, there was there was a draft that I so I did the, the the DraftKings best ball you know tournament that they did last year. Took Deshaun Watson as my QB one, and as the draft is going, I'm realizing like I lost my draft board, right? Like I'm 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 catching up. I'm making sure I'm taking all these guys because they were falling. Then I go to look at my quarterbacks that are that are there, and it was basically that situation. I'm like, all right, there's Dwayne Haskins, there's Nick Foles, but there's also Mitch Trubisky, and you don't even know who's going to start of that. I honestly, I ended up taking both Foles and Trubisky because I just figured out, you know what? I'm just going to punt it at this point. 
hope Watson stays healthy. And then one of those two guys are going to start at some point in this season. So, like, I wait, I, I basically wasted an extra draft pick there. By, I had to take the quarterbacks of both teams because, like I'm saying now, and a lesson learned here, you know, in one of the teams that I drafted, I just lost my board. You know, I'm drafting receivers and running backs and all of these things. But I'm like, I only have one quarterback and we're in round 20. You know, like, what am I, right. what's going on? So, you know, having that plan, not losing your board and drafting depth uh, became very apparent to me last year in that in that one team that I had drafted. Um, and it's something that I just can't stress enough and not a mistake I'll make again. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it's like you said with the wide receivers, like, the wide receivers in general will mix in. It's a substitution position. If you look at the Ra- the the Ravens, they let everyone play a little bit. Like for the most part, the backup quarterback isn't going to play on most teams, so you're not going to be able to find the Darnell Mooney of quarterbacks right. by taking you know the backup to the David Moore of wide receivers. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. You know, like Randall comes in and catches touchdowns. You know, like exactly. Like they're not going to just say, oh, you know what? Let's let uh, let's let um, you know uh. Stidham pop in for a couple drives, you know, it's, or, you know, I mean, maybe he, he's kind of one that might pop in, but like, I don't know, Justin Herbert's backup. I don't even know who they have as a backup right now, but they're not going to throw Easton stick or whoever in there for a couple <laughs> drives. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I knew it. You know, it's like you really, there's a, such a limited pool of quarterbacks that you really need to address it early. And then you have forever to just take stabs at, at wide receiver, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, one of, one of the things that we talk about in these, in these basketball drafts, the group is, is, is digging deep, right? Like, as you get into these later rounds, you, you are looking for sort of these deep, you know, dark plays um, that maybe have an opportunity to overcome, uh, you know, move up the depth chart or, or be that home run hitter. Um, you know, when it comes to deep targets in basketball and even dynasty leagues, uh, this kind of comes into play as well. You know, you know you're, you're, you're the tight end whisperer, right? Like, you're, you're the guy we go to. You've, you've taken over. It from Howard Bender, he's you know knighted you the new Titan Whisperer, and I've seen you tweeting now a few times, and more recently, just a couple days ago, um, about what I imagine would be a deep dynasty tight end for you uh, on Baltimore and, and Eli Wolf. So why don't you talk a little bit about him and maybe some other deep uh, dynasty guys that we should be taking a look at? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've been throwing Eli Wolf out there. I mean. Eli Wolf, he is the deepest player that I would own in any in any dynasty league. He's the very deepest tight end. So I mean, but you know, a lot of people you know listen to these podcasts um, that you know are, are into this are interested in those things. They know about the guys that are you know the Anthony Ferksers of the world. They know about those guys. So like this guy Eli Wolf is a player who um, you know he was brought on by them as an undrafted free agent. He ran a 4-4-3-40, which is absolutely blazing. That's, you know, um, Evan Ingram's probably the fastest tight end in the league right now. He ran a 4-4-2. So 4-4-3 is faster than Kyle Pitts. Um, they kept him on the practice squad, kind of on ice. Uh, he likely would have actually gotten a chance to play last year, but it just so happened that he was hurt at the same time that Mark Andrews got COVID. So they were calling people up from the practice squad, and that would have been his moment, but it didn't happen. So this guy, I'm talking about your very last taxi squads, Bob, in a dynasty league. He's probably not going to play this year, to be honest. But he can be signed because he's a practice squad player. He, he, unless he's protected week to week, he could be signed by any other team. And if he is protected week to week, then you know they're kind of keeping him on ice as kind of a Mark Andrews, um, as a Mark Andrews uh, insurance policy. Uh, as far as dynasty. Some of the deeper guys that I like would be uh, rookies this year. Jacob Harris, he's drafted by the Rams. He's a wide receiver that they converted to tight end. Gerald Everett's gone. Tyler Higby's more of a blocker. Uh, anytime I hear wide receiver converted to tight end, you know, my eyes light up because Darren Waller, that's exactly where he came from. So he's you a guy are, I'm interested in. Uh, a Keem Butler fan, right? Isn't that yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean... Uh, the tape, the people loved his tape, even so people were drafting him, even though he was a fourth round pick, which, you know, I'm not a big fan of that. But I mean, hey, you, you never know if Ertz is gone. Maybe they do roll two to two tight end sets with him. That could be something maybe more of a uh, really deep uh, best ball. But, um, you know, I do love that when they say wide receiver to tight end because we care about pass catching. We don't care about blocking. Um, another one would be Zach Davidson. Uh, he was drafted the fifth round by the Vikings. They lost. Kyle Rudolph, uh, you can imagine they probably want to keep running two tight end sets. They, you know, Tyler Conklin's more of a blocker. Um, 
Irv Smith Jr. is a pass catcher, but with this guy Davidson, he caught almost 900 yards and 15 touchdowns as a senior. I know it's D2, but I mean 15 that's, touchdowns. Yeah, that's that's wild. You know, and here's another fun fact on that guy is he also was the punter for the team he played for, and he set a bunch of school records for punting. So, you know. That's, and, that sounds like a D2 player to me. Yeah, so, in, yeah, in your leagues where you have, um, you know, punter spots and uh, a uh, – Tight end slash punter eligible player would really move the needle for you, Zach Davidson. I, yeah, I, you said you wanted to go deep, so that's where we're at. Yeah, and that's a that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> deep a deep find for sure. Um, you know, you and I like to talk a lot about um, again, you know, finding these deep dynasty guys. Um, and you know, we were talking about you know position by position, and, we're, and we were really searching for you know who's that deep dynasty running back. You know, a guy that potentially could even make an impact this year. Uh, and someone that I ended up coming across was a six-round pick this year out of Cincinnati, uh, and that's Chris Evans from Michigan. Uh, you know, you just wrote an article, obviously, about all the reasons why you know Joe Mixon's in for a monster year. But if there was a possibility for a deep dynasty play here, Chris Evans kind of sticks out to me a, a bit for a couple of reasons. One, you look at the running back group there that that's in Cincinnati, and it's it's Joe Mixon clearly at the top of the mountain. And then who's behind him, right? It's Samaje Pirine. It's Travion Williams. You know, like guys we've heard of, guys we've seen play, guys we kind of know can't play, right? You know, and the one big name that is missing from the group that I just mentioned was Giovanni Bernard. That's because they let him go. And what was sort of one of the bigger things holding Joe Mixon back the last few years from being this breakout star was – he was on the field on third down. That was going to Gio Bernard because if you look surprisingly, you know, at PFF stats, you know, Bernard was a, was a pretty good pass blocker, you know, out there on third downs. He's a good uh, pass catcher, and Mixon really wasn't. So now we're all of a sudden there's that hole in that third down back role. You know, they're saying Mixon's going to be a three down back. I believe they're going to give him that opportunity for a little bit. But then you look into what Chris Evans was in terms of what his scouting reports say, what some of the analysis was of him coming out of the draft. Uh, and one of the things that kind of stuck out more in what was being said about him was that he's a really good pass blocker and he can catch the football. I'm like, oh, this team just basically let Gio Bernard go and they drafted this kid in the sixth round. Perfect spot for a six-round player with the third down change of pace type of guy. He's a bigger back, so he can handle the blocking. Um, and he probably could have been drafted earlier. And one of the things that you brought up and like to talk about a lot is, you know, what makes guys fall? Is it talent or is it maybe off-the-field problems? And in this case, he was suspended for his entire uh, 2019 season uh, due to academics. Uh, so that certainly hurt his draft stock. And then uh, he played limited games last year and obviously, you know, wasn't a great, uh, you know, didn't look great. But he was good as a freshman uh, when he was out there for Michigan. So, like, you look at it, he was recruited to play at Michigan, which is a blue-chip program. He had a, a pretty solid you know, start to his college career, ends up getting suspended, not able to get traction during COVID, drags off, falls, and he gets taken by a team that just let their primary third down back go, and this is a guy that can fill that void. So, you know, if you're looking in dynasty leagues, like Chris Evans could be a guy that steps in there on day one and beats out some Ajay P. Ryan or Travion Williams for the backup running back spot or even the handcuff, you know, third down role uh, in Cincinnati. So, you know, we're talking deep dynasty, deep picks, like, you know, Chris Evans could be a guy that jumped out to me. Yeah, no, I love that. And I've, if you look at the article I did write on Mixon, there's a quote in there from the offensive coordinator where he says, Joe Mixon should never leave the field, which I put that in there specifically because it was condensed to a tweet. But when you click the article, it says he should be on the field because he has, you know, all the skills. But the one thing that has kept him off the field was pass blocking. And a lot of people confuse the idea of pass blocking with like, oh, he, you know, physically couldn't block the player. That's not really how it actually works in pass protection. It's more you are responsible for identifying the blitz and picking up that player. And some people are just not good at it. I mean, Philip Lindsay just could not figure it out. So if Mixon, you know, that's what that's what kept Royce Freeman on the field is Lindsay just couldn't figure it out. He was one of the worst rated pass blockers in the league all three years. He was with Denver. If you know, if Mixon can't figure it out, Chris Evans and Chris Evans does. And, you know, he's the guy that's making sure Joe Mixon isn't getting hit in camp. 
then I mean he could carve out a role pretty quickly. So I do like that. I mean we're talking really deep here, obviously, because yeah. you know you want to get the guys that have a real chance to start right away. But I mean, um, for a guy like this, this isn't really a name I'm hearing a lot about, and it's a guy that could carve out snaps, and that's what you're looking for in the fifth, sixth round or off waivers in a you know in a dyno. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any wide receivers for you, Coop? Uh, if we're looking, you know, the deep, deep dynasty plays. So yeah, I mean, if we're getting if we're getting real deep, um, and this one actually fits in with what you just talked about. So uh, with wide receiver, we know that the hit rates are crazy low. Running back as well. Uh, once you get past the third round, the guys that we do see hit from those rounds have character concerns a lot of the times. You know what I mean? Stephon Diggs, or just not just character concerns, but red flags in, in general. So like Stephon Diggs had, uh, you know, he went to a smaller school. He uh, got suspended a game, and he had attitude issues by most reports he had some very serious injuries during school he slid to the fifth uh, we all know why Tyreek Hill slid to the fifth round uh, and then I got like Antonio Brown when he started doing all the crazy stuff you know um, you know uh, froze his feet off called his coach a cracker over a uh, minor hat dispute you know that whole situation there um, what happened there uh, or one thing that I really noticed that I don't think a lot of people notice is, is a former scout Greg Gabriel came out and said uh, Every, that's why everyone passed on him and he slid to the sixth round because we knew that he was crazy and everyone kind of fried Greg Gabriel. They were like, Oh, you passed on Antonio Brown. What are you stupid? He he's not a situation where like, you know, he's saying we passed on him because we knew he was that good. They're saying everyone knew that he was a problem and nobody wanted him around. That's why it just took there. a while for that problem to show up. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sure if Greg Gabriel could go back, he would have drafted him. You know what I mean? But right. like when you're, when you're, you know, trying to guess who's going to be good and you're splitting hairs, some of these red flags end up being a reason they slide. Preston Williams had um, the harassment charges and, you know, he proved to be okay for a little bit. This guy, I think it has the best chance to be this year's Preston Williams. And um, his name is Jonathan Adams Jr. And he's a undrafted guy that was grabbed by the Detroit Lions. Uh, he slid in the draft because he, uh, you know, he had some, he had a gun charge when he was at school. You know what I mean? It's like anytime you're, you've got these guys that are, you know, so you're looking at the, you know, their metrics, talking to them, and one guy has a gun charge and one doesn't. You're gonna, you're gonna lean away from that guy. You know what I mean? But if you look at um, his metrics, they're all pretty good. His contested catch rate is like off the charts i mean he was one of the top i think he was the top guy in college football in contested catch rate last year uh the lions are running a complete skeleton crew they're trying to lose they didn't bring on anybody uh anybody of, of note in free agency because they want to get those comp picks so they you know it's like tyrell williams Brashad perriman these are the exact conditions that the uh, dolphins had in 2019 that let an undrafted free agent get a chance. And right now we're seeing on Twitter that he's being praised in rookie minicamp and OTAs, Jonathan Adams has. So for me, like, why not? If you're getting that deep, take a stab at a guy that could, you know, potentially get one of those outside roles, get a chance, you know? Oh, for sure. And, and like you mentioned, we, and we touched upon it, you know, earlier in, in sort of our, you know, stacking wide receivers and uncertain situations for basketball and you, and you mentioned, obviously, the Lions, you know, and, and, and who is on their group, right? Like, one of the bigger reasons why you've been in all these Twitter battles for Armand St. Brown was everybody's like, well, who's in front of them? You know, like, what, what's the wide Lions wide receiver group look like? It's an often injured Brashard Perryman and often injured Tyrell Williams. One of the reasons why Quintus Cephas even made the field was because of all the injuries that were going on uh, in Detroit. So now this brings an opportunity for a guy like Jonathan Adams to um, – to break through as well. So I, I like that a lot. I think that's a good call. And like you said, you're not investing in a lot of dynasty league draft capital. So, right. And an interesting thing on, on Quintez Cephas is that he's actually another guy that slid uh, potentially because off field stuff. He had a, um, an actual a rape charge. It was, it proved to not be credible, but he was kicked off the team during everything. He was suspended during the whole period, uh, ended up coming back on the team, but you know, stuff like that. You know, it, it leaves a kind of a bad air for these type of guys. So, um, you know, with with that situation, you know, they're following the Dolphins playbook, like I said. And what the Dolphins did in those early years is they kind of just let everybody play. They ran like live tryouts, you know, try Isaiah Ford in the slot. If he's good, keep him. He wasn't. They traded him. Try Malcolm Perry in the slot. See how it goes. You know, so I think everyone over there is going to get a chance to get some snaps. They really they're trying. Like I said, they're trying to lose. Uh, I really don't see why they wouldn't give everyone a chance. And 
if a guy flashes, he flashes. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't see why not. Yeah, I agree with you. And then if we're going to look at quarterback, quarterback obviously a little bit of a tougher position to sort of predict for deep, deep dynasty, you know. Um, you know, but someone like Kellen Mond, I think obviously, you know, makes a little bit of sense for a couple of reasons. One, if you look at the quarterback situation that they have now, you know, Kirk Cousins has certainly been under the microscope a little bit there in, in Minnesota. His inconsistent play, obviously, we, we, you know, Justin Jefferson had that monster year last year. Um, you know, but there's been a lot of, con- not controversy, but people sort of upset, uh, you know, with how the team has performed at times with him under center. And he's only got a year left on his contract, right? So if you're sort of maybe predicting, like, did Minnesota make this pick looking towards two years down the road? If you're in a deep dynasty draft, you know, a guy like Mond is certainly someone that could stick out for you. Yeah, and his stats look, like, strangely similar to Dak Prescott's. I don't know if you've seen that, but they're, like, pretty much the same as to his college stats. So uh, anytime I see something like that, it kind of intrigues me, you know, similar draft capital. Uh, and like you said, Kirk could be out the window. So uh, he's a guy I'm interested in uh, in Dynasty for sure. If it's, like, if it's in best ball, we're talking about those guys that when you get really deep, uh, that, you know, you're just trying to look for somebody who could find a, some way on the field. Uh, a really deep one that I'm kind of interested in. We're just talking about the Lions, Tim Boyle. I mean, Jared Goff comes in, and uh, there's no guarantee that he's the guy. And if he's really having a tough time, this is a team that really doesn't care about winning, just like the Dolphins um, 2019. Maybe they do throw in the other quarterback they signed to see what he can do. You know, So Tim Boyle in a really deep league. Uh, another one, I guess, really deep would be uh, Joe Flacco. I mean, I'm a big Jalen Hurts guy. Huge. I think I, you know, he has the the rushing upside to be really good, but there are some things that on the passing side, Pro Football Focus didn't really grade him out very well. The new coach came in and said everyone's going to have to try out. Jalen Hurts says, "Hey, I've been told it's a QB competition. You know, it's something where if you're really like, you can't predict injuries really, but you know, he's a rushing quarterback. You got a backup quarterback that we know can play." That's a situation where I, if I was assigning percentages to it, I would say this probably has a higher percentage of happening than some entrenched pocket passer losing his job, you know? So yeah. we're talking very deep, obviously, but that's, yeah, you definitely know, that's very deep. Uh, what is your, uh, slightly off topic, probably not a deep, deep dynasty pick here, but, uh, you know, Jalen Rieger coming out and saying he's going to play the slot this year, you know, does that uh, interest you at all there with that, that Philly passing offense? I mean, I like it. I mean, it, it it, for for Rieger himself, like it it makes you trust him a little more. You know, finally we get rid of Greg Ward. I mean, Greg Ward was just an asset that he was playing so many snaps, not giving you anything. Like just get him out of here. I'm done with Greg Ward. So Rieger at least at least it brings some consistency to him. Most likely, that probably means that Devonta Smith is going to be outside and could end up in a bit of a field stretcher role, which is a little bit scary for his value, you know, because sometimes those guys don't get consistent targets. Like Henry well, Ruggs last year? Just like Henry Ruggs. Exactly like Henry Ruggs, John. <laughs> Nothing so, worse than having – I mean, he didn't cost me a lot last year because, you know, where he was going in drafts, but I was definitely overweight on some Henry Ruggs, and uh, that one uh, was was disappointing, to say the least, to see Nelson Aguilar all of a sudden be like a wide receiver one out of, out of the clouds, essentially, for uh, – for for uh, Las Vegas last year, but uh, yeah, Rugs, you know, just a s- speed guy, right? And he just, you know, those guys, if they're not hitting the home runs, uh, they're tough to trust, right? And that's the part. That's the thing that as fantasy gamers, we just think that oh, those guys stink. But in real life football, if Henry Ruggs runs downfield and a cornerback goes with him and a safety goes with him and Darren Waller catches a thirty-yard pass over the middle. Henry Ruggs just made a fantastic and valuable football play. Same with Marquise Brown taking a safety with him too. So the thing about, and that's why these guys, you see the two, two Atwells and the Anthony Schwartz, you see those guys go in the second and third round because there's value to these guys beyond catching the football. I know in fantasy football, it sucks because, you know, we really don't, we care about the production and not the end result of the play, but wide receivers that can block, wide receivers that have speed that you have to respect it's it's valuable in real life football so uh let's just hope that they use devonta smith in a more dynamic way than henry ruggs was used last year yeah for sure and that will be something that we'll uh we'll evaluate as we kind of start looking over uh positions and adps and and draft strategy as we get closer obviously towards you know the start of uh fantasy but but coop you know we're already getting a lot of questions 
you know, and, and so we decided to open this up to sort of a mailbag segment, uh, sort of a little bit cliche, obviously a lot of, a lot of podcasts do it, but you know, I, I felt like it, it allows us to maybe expand upon some of the questions that we're getting instead of, you know, just giving a quick type answer or a long, you know, Twitter limited character response. So, uh, we opened up the email bag this week. We got a couple of questions in there. Uh, so why don't we want to close out today's podcast and we'll, we'll answer some of these uh, questions. First one comes from Tim. Uh, Tim is in a Superflex 2 QB league. Uh, he says he has Dak, Prescott, Lamar Jackson. He gets two keepers. He wants to know if you would hold on to, um, to Prescott or Jackson or Kelsey if you had to pick two of the three. I mean, personally, so typically when I get questions like this, I would normally ask, oh, how long can you keep them, right? Because if it's like you can only keep them for one year or something like that, maybe uh, that changes the answer. But in this particular case, when it's super flex, 2QB, I'm just keeping Dak and Lamar. I mean, right. my goodness, uh, Dak could be the number one quarterback this year. I mean, you look at the pace he was on last year, it was ridiculous. He was on pace to shatter the pass attempt record and not just by a little bit only one quarterback has ever thrown over 700 passes and that was uh matt stafford uh the next closest was our our boy from us growing up uh, drew bledsoe with right. uh, six 690 something but uh dak was on pace to throw over 800 so i mean like dak could be the top dog and we've seen lamar jackson be the top quarterback you know rushing for over that over a thousand yards throwing 36 i mean kelsey is a positional advantage but I would keep those two guys in a two-quarterback league because you have a much better chance of just picking Kelsey up in the regular draft. Those two, right. If you put those two guys back in, what, I mean, where are they going to go, John, you think? I, oh, I mean, right. I mean, if they're going to go both back in the draft, especially in a two-quarterback league, they could be first-round picks, right? Oh, like, yeah. super flexes. Like, you see guys, quarterbacks go super early. I don't think either of them would probably make it out of the second round, truthfully. You know, it is kind of funny, right, though, the, I, I feel like the only reason this is even a question for him is what happened. Dak coming off that awful ankle injury that he had last year. And then Lamar had a setback season, right? Like mm -hmm. he wasn't nearly as productive as he was last year. And then you have Kelsey maybe put up the best season a tight ends ever had, right? Like, or, or at right. least right up there with one of the best tight end seasons ever had. So yeah, I feel like if we were talking two years ago, like going into last year, I'm sure it was no doubt that this guy was keeping Jackson and Prescott and then, you know, drafting Kelsey and, I think you could do the same. Now, it depends, obviously, where you have to keep these guys as well. You know, do you have an opportunity to redraft Kelsey if you have to keep these guys with your first and second picks? Probably not, you know, but if you're getting some good value where you're keeping them also, just the fact that it's a two QB league, like, take that advantage. Go draft a guy that I'm sure Coop is going to write about in his ultimate tight end draft guide series this year. And, like, the eighth round that's going to have, you know, top eight tight end upside and, like, you know, win your league that way. So... Uh, right. Tim, stick with the quarterbacks in two QB Superflex League. The upside for them is just greater than Kelsey. Uh, and then the last question is something we already kind of discussed to kick off this podcast. But, you know, do we really see Julio Jones being traded? And if that is true, you know, where does that put Cal Pitts in your ranking? Um, not just the tight end rankings, but where do you start thinking about him overall? And what do you think about the other uh, receiving options? Guys like Russell Gage, Hayden Hurst. So out of them uh, interest you if, you know, Julio's gone. Yeah, I mean, uh, we I talk about this in the tight end series that you just mentioned, um, where one of the biggest indicators of a top five tight end is being a top two target on their team. Usually they lead their team in targets, um, but at, or at least top two. The only ones in recent memory that weren't a top two target on their team were Robert Tonyan last year in a, a, weird, a year that was obviously very weird. George Kittle got hurt. You know, guys are missing games with COVID. He only had 59 targets, but he caught 11 touchdowns. I mean, he was kind of outlier. Before that, the most recent I can think of was Martellus Bennett back in 2014, right? And he, he was the fourth target on his team, but it was such an anomaly year for that team where four guys all got over 100 targets. That is the, the, That was the last time that I remember it happening. So, um, you know, typically at most you get three guys, and usually it's one or two teams a year at most that have three guys getting 100 targets. So at first I looked at Pitts and I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to have him anywhere near my top five because he doesn't have top five upside with Julio and Ridley there. If Julio leaves, Pitts now for me honestly becomes a guy that you could take as high as – six you know in redraft like i personally am going to take uh kelsey waller kittle hawkinson and mark andrews but after that 
there's not a lot of guys that are locks for, you know, to be a top two target on their team. I mean, look at um, look at uh, Noah Fant. Everyone loves Noah Fant, but are you projecting him to get more targets than Judy or Sutton? It's kind of a tough call. With Pitts, I'm probably immediately uh, slating him to get the second most targets after Ridley just because they spent such high draft capital on him. Uh, Russell, uh, you know, Russell Gage obviously becomes a little more interesting because he's a slot guy. He's been there um, in PPR formats. Hayden Hurst, they didn't pick up his, um, they didn't pick up his fifth year option. He, they're, they're probably washing their hands of him. He's probably going to be more They didn't pick up the there. option and then they drafted the best, maybe <laughs> generational tight end. So, right. I mean, good Lord. You know what I mean? It's like, take a hint, Hayden. If I was Hayden, I'd be pulling the Julio right now and asking to get traded, you know, because, I mean, he's clearly being put on the back burner here. So I really don't think Hayden has a whole lot of value. Um, but for me, Pitts, I, and I wasn't, I was slow to adopt the Pitts wagon. But, I mean, now, with if Julio is gone, there's really nothing stopping him. So very right. And he's not your typical tight end, like you said. He's he's basically a wide receiver that's just right. slotting he's... out there at the at the tight end position. So uh, that, that question was by Coach. So, Coach uh there you go uh we're definitely moving pits up in our rankings here a little bit um you know worried about russell gage i mean i never really had an opinion on russell gage right like you know unless you're you know not knowing your league specifics here obviously hurts a little bit like if you're in a 14 team league three wide receivers and ppr like sure maybe russell gage then has a little bit of appeal because you know that passing offense that was there um, you know, there was an opportunity for him to be on the field and get targets and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, I wasn't really looking at Gage much more than, than a, you know, an injury fill-in like he was uh, at times last year. So, yeah, for those two guys, not really on my uh, on my radar. I'd much rather just draft someone the other team's wide receiver too, you know, and, and set a Russell Gage later in drafts. Or, like you mentioned, some of those unsure uh, wide receiver tandems as we get towards the back end of drafts and, and maybe hit on there. But... Uh, Coop, we are quickly running out of time. Before we do close off, I just want to touch on uh, your Mixin article. Tell it, make sure everybody goes out there uh, and gives it a read. You've been doing just a great job uh, with these sort of, you know, uh, exposés, these feature articles that you've been doing uh, this offseason, highlighting, um, you know, not some like controversial players, but like players that seemingly everybody has strong feelings one way or the other on, and you're just picking them up and giving your take and uh, telling everybody, you know, last week why it wasn't, you know, we shouldn't be giving up on Ezekiel Elliott. And now you're telling everybody why we shouldn't be giving up on Joe Mixon, much to the dismay of the uh, Reddit crowd who I was reading some of those comments in there. And they're like, he burned me last year. Never again. It's like, well, you got to have short memories uh, in fantasy because things change from year to year. Uh, And if Mixon ends up going on where he's being drafted right now, uh, and is a league winner, you know, you're the guy that told everybody to make sure you play him. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I know you say not not controversial, but the article that I wrote saying uh, that don't be surprised if DeAndre Swift underperforms, that one was clearly fairly controversial getting, among yeah, a lot of people. You're getting threats on that, yeah. on that one. So there's right. still people out there that are touting DeAndre Swift, and I'm just like, oh. Hope yeah. Coop doesn't see this and unloads, you know? Yeah, good luck with that. I mean, yeah, check out the articles there. Um, they're all on there. As far as Mixon, just a quick thought on him. I mean, the same thing, the same reason I, I like uh, like Zeke is that the deep, the, you know, the offense is going to be much improved, new quarterback. Uh, they have Jonah Williams coming back, who's been hurt, the 11th overall pick at left tackle. Bobby Hart's out. They bring in uh, Riley Reef to play right tackle, who is a first round pick, and he was the left tackle for Dalvin Cook last year. And then, you know, for good measure in the second round, they drafted Jackson Carmen out of Clemson, who is a tackle, but they're going to start him off playing guard. So anytime, you know, you can take a guy that can potentially be a tackle in the NFL and play him at guard, I mean, now you're playing, uh, you know, with a souped up line where that was the old problem. CJ Uzomo comes back. He was out the entire year last year. So, uh, and obviously, as we mentioned earlier, Gio Bernard's gone. So all the things that we didn't like about Joe Mixon previously, the line was bad. Gio was there. Uh, those things are gone now. So, um, and, you know, one thing I, I point out is that, you know, people say, oh, Joe Mixon gets hurt. But, uh, you know, if you are worried about Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook has not yet played a full season and he has played fewer games over the last three years than Mixon's played. So, you know, if you're ruling out injury guys, 
you you could go down the list. You know, one, uh, one of the things that blew my mind was when you told me that uh, Joe Mixon was still only twenty four years old. He's like the 24. oldest twenty four year old I've ever I've <laughs> ever seen because I feel like he's been in the league for a decade now. Twenty four years old. I mean, Najee Harris, everyone's favorite, you know, first overall rookie pick this year. He's twenty three. You know, like uh, it's like how that, Jason Tatum is still nineteen. You know, right, like yeah. you know, no, like a Joe, seeing Joe Mixon is twenty four. I'm like. That's got to be a typo. Like our editors, man, they need to start doing a better job. Let's go over and check out the football reference page. I'm like, huh? 496? 24? What? There's a bunch of those, man, that blow my mind all the time. When I was just looking at it the other day and I was like, I realized that Calvin Ridley is 27 and Sammy Watkins is also 27. Uh, I was like, how is that possible, dude? You know what I mean? Uh, Another one, um, Brandon Cooks is 27. He turns 28 in September. Kenny Galladay turns 28 in November. It's like all these dudes are the same age, even though, you know. Uh, Perception is they've been in the league forever. Right. Amari, um, uh, Amari Cooper and Calvin Ridley are the same age, and they both went out to Alabama, and they never played with each other. Like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous, you know. So. <laughs> that's that's wild. So, yeah, so, so make sure you check out uh, Coop's article there. You can go to fantasyslam.com. Uh, it'll be on the homepage. Obviously, you can check out Coop's Twitter uh, was at at Coupe Fiasco. It's there as well. Go to the writer's page, click on his beautiful face. You'll see all of his articles. Um, so yeah, Coop's features are out there. Uh, we're going to be starting up the best ball series soon. So I, I ran all of those best ball drafts, uh, last year. Those are coming. I know everybody's going to be excited to jump into some best ball. I'm sure Coop and I will be in some leagues so that we can then discuss them here on this podcast with our draft strategies. Um, and maybe we'll start up some mock drafting uh, for regular leagues as well. Because, I mean, hey, when now that uh, you know OTAs are here or whatever they're doing, optional camps like season's ramping up. Soon enough, we'll be in training camp. Soon enough, we'll be at you know uh, uh, preseason games, uh, and it'll be we'll be in the nitty gritty of it. So, uh, any final thoughts here, Coop, before we close out? Uh, the one thing that you miss is don't forget to also follow uh, John and Pemba on Twitter. J and Pemba seven seven seven. You almost left yourself out there, John. A little self promotion. Got to give yourself never... a little credit. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So and, and like we said, we're always answering questions. You can get us in the NFL seasonal tra- chat on Fantasy Alarm. You can uh, you know send us questions on Twitter. We're always there to help you guys out with your dynasty and best ball needs. Uh, for now, we will uh, we'll catch you guys later.